Well, at this time, our Kairos kids and our student ministry students are dismissed to their classes. Well, as they are making their way out, maybe a few of them will want to even answer this question. I want to see a showing of hands. Are there any Taylor Swift fans in the house? Woo, a couple, a couple teenagers raising their hand, jumping for joy as we are leaving. Well, I don't, I'm sure maybe some of you are tired of hearing about the news, but anyone get caught up in the Taylor Swift Ticketmaster debacle a couple weeks ago? Anyone besides me? Well, my daughter Ellie, apparently, is a big Taylor Swift fan, and she kind of um, bamboozled her way into finding a way for me to be the one in charge of the ticket disaster. So she, we registered for these pre-sale codes. I, this is really my first time doing anything like this, so I was pretty ignorant as to the process. So what happened was the tickets went on sale at the exact moment that our staff meeting was supposed to begin on a Tuesday morning. So I got to work early. Uh, Ellie instructed me I needed multiple devices. We had to log in with our multiple codes so we had a better chance of you know, this happening. Marchant took pity on me and he said he'd be willing to man one of the devices during um, the staff meeting and then the internet went spotty. He loaned me his hotspot. We had the whole thing going. But ignorantly I thought, you know, maybe like 15 minutes in I can be fully back and present to the meeting and move on with my day. Well, as many of you know, I was texting with friends, some who were online six to eight hours later, as you know, error messages and all of the disaster ensued. But luckily for me, it was only two hours and 44 minutes later that I was a lucky winner of the Taylor Swift tickets and became the best mother in the world for about a day. Um, so, and since my daughter is downstairs and I know how valuable these tickets are, I might be convinced, um, if anyone wants to talk to me after the service, to um, resell them to the highest bidder. But um, of all the things, who knew that even you know, with all this going on, that Taylor Swift tickets would then become a political, um, it's not event, political topic as now senators are bringing legislation on this whole thing. It's really quite astonishing these days what we can get worked up on. But I think one thing that we can agree on, my experience from this, and with all the, the differing of opinions that we have out there, is that waiting is pretty much a universally disliked activity. No one likes to wait. And no one likes when their expectations of something going efficiently and smoothly, when that all starts to unravel. Everything in our culture pushes us towards efficiency, finding ways to speed things up, minimize wait times and pack in as much as possible. And when something throws a wrench into that chain that messes up our expectations of the smooth, efficient process we were expecting, people start to get irritated. People start to tweet things. The, everything on the internet starts to go awry. Um, have you ever been stuck in an airport where not only was your flight delayed once, but multiple times and started to just hear the audible groans of people around you as these announcements are coming over the PA. Or even worse, after a long flight when you get stuck on the tarmac and then you can't actually get to your destination. When Ellie was about three years old, we had taken a flight home from California to visit our family five hours and then we're, then we're stuck on the tarmac. She's only about three years old and she had finally just had it and in a loud voice where everyone on the plane could hear, she shouted, somebody get me off this plane! <laughs> to which everybody er um, erupted cheering and clapping. 
But there are situations in life where waiting causes us more than just irritation or annoyance. There are some times where waiting can start to cause us great angst and even pain. When we're, something we're hoping for or longing for is deferred much longer than we were expecting, Proverbs 13:12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. These are the situations in life where we might be praying, praying for an answer to prayer, something that seems far off. A prayer for healing, prayer for change, praying for a relationship or a child or something that seems it never will happen apart from God's intervention in our lives. Have you ever been there? Is there anything going on in your life right now where it just seems that God's timetable is not lining up with yours? What answer to prayer are you waiting for? Well, as we're moving through Advent, we're in the midst of our sermon series that we are calling Waiting With. And each week, we're, we're going to wait with one of the characters in the birth stories, um, Jesus' birth story. Last week, Pam talked about waiting with John the Baptist for things to change. And today, we're going to look at the characters Zachariah and Elizabeth as they were waiting for an answer to prayer. So let's turn to Luke chapter 1 to hear their story. I will warn you, this is kind of a long passage, and sometimes, if you're anything like me, we can just start to kind of um, doze off as we read through the story. But I encourage you to maybe look for something new in this story, to listen with um, the intent to hear something that God might be speaking to you today. If you want to close your eyes to focus greater, you're welcome to, or you can follow along um, on the screens behind me. But Luke 1, 5 to 23 says this, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly di division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. I want to stop there for just a moment, because we see right at the start what Elizabeth and Zechariah are longing for, and that is to add a child to their family. And this, this longing of theirs has been deferred for a very long time. Our text says that they are very old. And to add almost insult to injury and something that's already a very painful experience for them, in the culture at the time, there was a stigma associated with not having children. And in fact, many people started to speculate that some people didn't have children because of something they'd done. That there might be some hidden sin, something that was going on in their lives, and therefore, the, the not having the child was a sign of God's displeasure. Can you imagine how agonizing that must have been for them to have people be making speculations about what was going on? So that extra detail that Luke added to the text, which says that they were blameless in the sight of God, is his way of making it very clear that this situation had absolutely nothing to do with that and was rather just a cultural um, extra thing that was put onto them to cause them extra pain. Well, let's continue on with verse 8. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. 
Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if we could watch this story unfold like a screenplay, I actually think the scene where Zechariah emerges from the temple would have been quite funny. Can you imagine him trying to explain without words, just through gestures, almost like a game of charades, what happened? You know, when angels appeared to me, my wife's going to be pregnant, you know, trying to guess what on earth has happened to him. But to me, the most ironic part of the entire story really is Zachariah's reaction to the angel, who has come to tell him that the thing he has been praying for and longing for is finally going to happen. You know you're a skeptic when an angel appears to you and tells you that God is going to do something, and you still say, um, can you give me a sign <laughs> that's how this is going to happen? I remember when my kids were little, they used to always say things like, why doesn't God just appear to us like he did in the Bible? If we could see him, or if an angel could come, then it would be so much easier to believe. But stories like this remind us time and time again that doubt is just part of the human condition. It didn't matter that a supernatural being came and was reassuring him that God had heard his prayer. He still had that natural reaction to doubt, to doubt God's goodness, to doubt that God would do what he said and answer this prayer of his heart. Faith is not easy to come by. Believing that God will keep his word in our lives, that he'll hear our prayers, that he'll demonstrate his goodness, or that he cares about the things that we care about, this can be really difficult for a lot of us to believe when it comes to our own prayers in particular. Sometimes it's easy to pray on somebody else's behalf, but will God really hear and answer my prayer? Isn't that what starts to happen the longer you wait? Doubts and fears begin to creep into our lives. Does God care about what I'm going through? Because sometimes it feels as though God is silent and not doing anything. 
I find it actually very reassuring that so many biblical characters struggled with prayer just like we do. They're not super saints. They're ordinary people just like you and me who are relatable. And Zachariah's response is so human. It's hard to believe sometimes that God hears our prayers and longs to answer them. Sometimes, for, and as we're going through a time of waiting, we might resonate with the words of David in Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? So what do we learn from Zachariah and Elizabeth as we wait with them this Advent season? We don't get to know much about their stories of their lives, other than it says that they stayed faithful to God throughout the process. David Timms, he's written a great little book called Sacred Waiting. And in it, he, he makes a distinction between the activity of waiting for God and waiting on God. Let me explain a little bit about the distinction that he makes. He says when we wait for God, we pray and we wait, but we're often waiting for an answer, for God to do something, for him to answer our prayer in a specific way. And sometimes, as we wait for God, it's as though we begin to view God as a vending machine who is waiting to give us what we want in the right timing. It often can feel like we're in a holding pattern or that our life really can't begin until God answers that prayer. Well, waiting on God is an entirely different posture. Tim's begins to explain that as we wait on God, the process of waiting actually becomes purposeful. Life doesn't start when we get the answer to prayer. The process of waiting actually becomes a, a, a time where we can connect with the Lord and serve him. And so Tim says this, that sacred waiting or waiting on God involves two activities. It involves presence and service. Let me explain a bit more. As we stay present to God, in a time of waiting, we have open communication, just like Zechariah. That includes doubt, that includes conversation, that includes prayer. That we wait on the Lord, we pour out our hearts to him, we receive from him in our time of waiting. And two, we see in the example of Zechariah that we look for how we can serve the Lord in our wait. How God might be calling to us to be used simply in our everyday lives, regardless of whether that thing that we are praying for has happened yet or not. When we wait on God, we begin to see God as Emmanuel, as God with us, the one who came to be by our side every step of the journey, who longs to infuse even our waiting with a greater sense of purpose. And we see on all those years, Zachariah and Elizabeth did this, just this. Our text says they listened faithfully to God, and obeyed the Lord, and did everything he told them to do. And it says they did this blamelessly, which is a pretty tall order. And then we see Zechariah day after day coming to the temple, waiting on the Lord. But what I love about this, as we've mentioned earlier, is that he does this in a very authentic way. He is not the picture-perfect saint. He, he wrestles with God in his doubts, and yes, he asks for the sign and gets probably the complete opposite of what he would have wanted. 
nine months of being unable to speak. Can you imagine what that would be like as your wife is pregnant, trying to interact with them, and then having no, uh, no ability to speak? And while it seems as though this is a punitive reaction for the angel, almost punishing him for his lack of belief, I actually like the, pers the perspective that New Testament scholar Daryl Bach says on this passage. He says, rather than seeing this as a punishment, silencing Zechariah, he says, it's as if God is saying to him, Zechariah, just be quiet for a while and watch God work. Our doubts and our skepticism they don't negate God's promises or faithfulness to us. So where might you need to hear those same words? Just be quiet for a while and watch God work. I find this quote from N.T. Wright to be so encouraging. God regularly works through ordinary people, doing what they normally do with a mixture of half faith and devotion, who are holding themselves ready for whatever God has in mind. Zechariah demonstrates how we stay present to God, how we serve him in our waiting, and how we come to him with our half-faith and our devotion and stay open to what God wants to do in the time of waiting. And as much as we dislike these seasons and wish we could speed them up, spiritually speaking, God often uses our waiting for our own transformation. And we see this theme throughout the scriptures as people throughout the ages learned more about who God is in the midst of their waiting. Abraham and Sarah, like Zachariah and Elizabeth, waited for a child. Joseph was sold into slavery and then waited in jail as he, before he received a promotion. Jacob waited seven years before he could marry Rachel. Moses waited to lead the Israelites out of slavery. Joshua awaited to enter the Promised Land. The Israelites waited in exile for God to return them to their land. Ruth waited through loss and grief as she waited for God to provide for her in a new land. David waited 15 years before he became king. Elijah waited for rain. Job waited for suffering to end, suffering after suffering. Paul waited for release from prison, and the list could go on and on. And while both people in the past, biblical characters and the present, have often struggled with God's timeline, I think all of those characters expressed their struggles in those times, God has continued to use these seasons of waiting to draw people nearer to him and to transform their hearts in the process. And so this is one of the greatest lessons we learn through the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth, is that their hearts begin to be transformed in this process. And we actually get a, to, a glimpse into each of their reactions as they start to see a bigger perspective in what God is doing. I love the interaction that happens between Mary and Elizabeth after the angel has appeared to Mary. Did you notice that the very first person that Mary goes to is Elizabeth? And they have this interaction where she comes in the door and Elizabeth exclaims in a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting has reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And what I find so striking in this interaction is that Elizabeth is immediately moved to praise God 
for this miracle birth that has happened for Mary and to see the greater significance in both the children that they will bear. There's no place in this story for her to be petty or jealous or even resentful that this young relative of her is easily pregnant, even though it took many years for her to conceive. Instead, in her waiting, she's been transformed to see that God's hand is present in both of their stories and that actually the birth of her child is going to serve a much greater purpose than just the fulfillment of her own desires. This child is going to be part of God's greater story of salvation for all people. And similarly, Zechariah, when his tongue is finally loosed and he is able to speak again, he offers a song of praise, telling of God's faithfulness, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. And he goes on to say, And you, my child, will be prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, which by the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. I love that last line. Zachariah and Elizabeth experienced the Lord's provision in the, for their family and also got to witness their son being a part of God's plan to bring salvation to all people. They got to experience firsthand the tender mercy of our God, who shines on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into a path of peace. And that's what Jesus came to do, to guide our feet into a path of peace. I don't know where you are today, whether the path you're walking on feels hopeful and peaceful, or whether today you're in a season that feels a bit more like someone's turned the lights out and you're walking in the dark. But as we walk with Zachariah and Elizabeth, we see that they've walked both portions of that path. And they did, as they did that, they waited on the Lord, receiving comfort and guidance from him, and finding purpose in serving him daily in their everyday lives until the time came where they too could see the greater story that God was writing. A story that would be far greater than simply the fulfillment of their own desires. A story that would bring hope to others and hope to the entire world. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we come to you this morning, we know that um, many of us carry um, prayers that we've been praying for a long time. Maybe for ourselves, maybe for somebody else we care about. And Lord, sometimes we wonder, are you listening? Do you care? And so, Lord, I pray for each person here this morning as they wait for those answers, Lord, that you would infuse that time of waiting with a greater sense of your presence and your love for them, Lord, and also as an opportunity for us to respond to you, to do the next right thing in front of us, Lord, to, to serve you um, and to love people around us. And so, Lord, would you, just like you have been at work in people's hearts throughout the ages, would you begin to transform our waiting, Lord, into something where we can catch a glimpse of who you are, Lord, and your greater story that you are writing in our lives. We pray all these things in Christ's name.